0: Hello and welcome to a special episode of Engage, a podcast from the Chartered Institute of Public Relations that was recorded live at its annual conference, Influencing the Future. This episode is hosted by members of the podcast editorial board, Debbie West and Sarah-Ann Mills-Brigman. In it, they ask each of the contributors to summarize their key takeaways from the event and for their thoughts on the future of our professions across ESG, public affairs, and deepfakes.
1: Hello. Hello. Hi, Hi. Solly. Your talk was fantastic. So Mm. what key takeaways were you hoping as professionals we would carry into our workplaces from your talk?
2: So I have absolute faith that the PR industry can become a huge part of the solution, not part of the problem. At the moment, kind of bets are off which way we're going to go. We actually are often contributing to the problem, we're often supporting business as usual, and sometimes, historically, there's been bad practice around disinformation on climate change. In the future, what we've got to do is we've got to PR the solutions. And what I really want people to come away from this conference with is a sense of their own power, their ability, the the fact that they can generate change because historically, good PR has been missing from climate action. Yeah, it's a brilliant point. I really
1: liked the slide you shared with the solutions on it. So um, how can we highlight
2: those solutions? So we have the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, who just this year essentially gave us the roadmap of how we solve climate change. Thank you, IPCC. And in there, there's 61 behavioural well, behavioural outcomes that if we can help people do them, it's going to save 5% of global demand-side carbon. On Futera's website, you can download a synthesis of that report called People Power and the IPCC." In a You've got a long, boring evening. You might not want to read the IPCC report itself, but read our synthesis of it. And that is absolutely how we can contribute. We've got skills of behaviour change. We can simplify. We can help educate. We can get eyeballs and attention on things. The solutions to climate change really need that. We don't have to communicate the problem. Climate change is now communicating itself in horrible, devastating, publicly visible ways, from floods to forest fires. It's the solutions that need our help. Every PR person is needed. Take a couple of minutes today to write down how you are going to contribute to solving this giant crisis of our time.
3: So, Nina, you just delivered a slightly different session to our audience about generative AI, which both amazed and terrified me. Would you mind just introducing yourself and briefly defining what generative AI is and what you were hoping our audience would take away from your talk?
4: Absolutely. My name is Nina Schick. I am an author, advisor, and keynote speaker. My background um, is in geopolitics. I used to work with global leaders advising on information warfare and election integrity, things like that. But over the course of my career, I really realized the big story of our lifetime, one that's gonna affect every single person alive, is the exponential change led by artificial intelligence and technology. So I've recently, for the past five, six years, since my first book came out, Deep Fakes, I've been really delving into this area of now what has recently been coined generative AI. And I call this new, I think, era that we're entering into the age of generative AI. And what I think this is, is a new age in which artificial intelligence will be able to autonomously create almost anything that we formerly attributed as being unique to human intelligence or human creativity, and that includes all digital content. And the reason why I'm so passionate about speaking about this and why I delivered the speech today was because this is universal. There is no person, no company, no country that isn't affected by how generative AI is gonna change society, how it's going to change our perception of the world. And this isn't something that's happening far off in the future. It's happening now. For decades, we've kind of hypothesized about how AI might change the world. And of course, uh, there already is a lot of kind of applied AI. But the recent advances in generative AI is really taking it to the next level. And we're going to start to see the differences that generative AI is going to make in the next six to 12 months.
3: So in relation to generative AI, you mentioned that there is going to be a greater need for demonstrating authenticity um, and provenance of any content that people share. Can you just give us your thoughts in terms of what you think synthetic content means for trusted media? So basically, one of the
4: manifestations of the era of generative AI is that increasingly, All digital content that billions of us interact with every single day, whether it's video, audio, images, copy, is going to actually be created by AI. You've already seen the um, advent of AI models that can autonomously generate audio, images, video, copy, just from mere textual prompts. You basically tell an AI what to create You type it in and then it does it for you. This means that all digital content, uh, because of the kind of ease by which you can do it, because of the scalability, because of the accessibility now to billions of people to create sophisticated digital content with the help of AI-powered tools, all content that we interact with in the information ecosystem or online digital ecosystem is increasingly going to be made by AI. That means it is not authentic in the sense that it is not made by a camera, it is not made by a human, it is synthetic in nature, i.e. fake or created by AI. So we absolutely, going forward, need to figure out a way where we can distinguish what's authentic and what's synthetic. Because if we don't, um, there's a phenomenon known as the liar's dividend, where people can people understand that anything you interact with, anything you read, anything you engage with, including video, which has thus far tended to function as an extension of our own perception, which is why video evidence is so compelling in a court of law. You know, I saw it, I heard it, therefore it must be true. But once people start to understand that that is no longer true, because AI can fake anything, including video, then you start tipping into cynicism. And that means that you lose trust in the medium of all digital content. Nothing is trustworthy anymore. And you absolutely cannot have a functioning society if people no longer trust the medium of any digital content, right? Whether it's an email from your bank, photograph that your mother sent you, whether it's a phone call from your child. If you know that the medium can be corrupted and there's no way to prove that it's authentic, then you're looking really into the abyss. So we want to be able to seize the creative potential of generative AI, because it's going to allow billions of people to create really sophisticated, compelling content. But we need to be able to do so in full transparency. And this is where the idea of media authenticity and provenance comes in. So this can broadly be broken down into three strands. The first is the idea of secure capture. If you are creating authentic media, like a photograph or a video, for instance, let's say you're a journalist and you want to report on a war zone, you can do so now with secure capture so that the moment that media is captured, the fact that it's authentic is recorded and sealed, cryptographically sealed into the metadata of that media file, so it can never be dismissed as something that's synthetic or made by AI. You know from the blueprint, the DNA of that piece of content, it's authentic. The second thing is the idea of a chain of provenance, and this is true for all AI-created content or all synthetic content. This is the idea that any media now needs to come with context, a chain of provenance showing, is it synthetic? Is it authentic? Um, How's it been edited? Who does this belong to? How has this piece of content evolved over its lifetime? Because only with full transparency and context, because we're not in the business of telling people this is true or this is not. Nobody wants to be the arbiter of truth. But what you can do is give people additional context so they can make um, the right trust decisions based on that context. And the final idea, again, going back to authentication, I talked about secure capture for authentic media but you also want to be able to authenticate all digital content whether it's authentic or made by ai and that is because you want to be able to trace where it came from and who it who created it who it owns to because as generative ai implodes in the digital ecosystem people who create content with ai are going to want to be able to show this belongs to me this isn't something that's you know this is the authentic version of uh, an AI augmented video made by Nina Schick and not something that somebody else made where they're claiming to be Nina Schick. So it's it's, um, an entirely new concept which hasn't been necessary before, but it absolutely will be necessary moving forward to be able to show, is this the authentic version of your content, whether it's generated with AI or whether it's created without the help
1: of AI. Um, we've just come out of, a, of two back-to-back sessions that were really about high-tech. So social media use and adoption of TikTok in particular, and then the rise of AI and you know AI-generated content that's going to pervade um, digital channels in the future. Do you see a lot of use of um, those sorts of social media channels in the type of work that you do? And can you see a role for that in the future?
5: We look very enviously at the the really hip and happening charities probably in London. We're based in Oxfordshire. And um, go, we're not ready, we're not ready, but we're going to have to be ready. The thing with TikTok and Snapchat, it's something I'm constantly forcing people... To face, and that is, we are wired for story. We're not wired for facts and figures. And all the time, I'm dealing with people saying, "Look, we've got this new report out. We've got this new information out. The world must be interested." And of course, the world aren't interested. And yes, I think there's still a place for words, but you, you know. We're all going to have to be storytellers, and we're going to have to be multi-platform storytellers. Um, you know, doing doing one <laughs> one thing in landscape and one thing in portrait, and uh, goodness knows what else. So yeah, it's it's upping the game of 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 telling the story um, of of people's lives, and in our case, sufferings, and and yeah, putting it on steroids. Really, I think the thing, and I, of course, you know it already is people are being bombarded by press releases and photos, and it's just exponential. And I thought the best piece of advice uh, was actually the SPAD, Peter the SPAD, whose book sounds like a lot of fun, It was just know exactly what you want to say, why it would be useful for the person you want to say it to, and how you're going to say it in 45 seconds. Uh, And that's, yes, it's get your act together, know exactly what your messaging is to within an inch of its life. And um, yes, it's it's a learning for me and for for everyone.
3: So you talked about innovating for the future, but there's a lot of common mistakes that people are making at the moment. You talked through quite a few. Can you just give us a couple for our listeners?
6: Well, I suppose it's about talking to the right person. It's about making sure you uh, know what your ask is and what your top ask is, how much it's actually going to cost, and when you actually get that conversation, can you convince someone very, very quickly? Because the commodity that most uh, government ministers, special advisors, senior civil servants have least of is time. So it's really important to refine your pitch, to know exactly what it is, and also how it fits in politically not to the manifesto, to the next election, and so on. Sort of sell it on that basis, because all politicians are looking in a short-term way, if you talk about something 10 years in the future, they're just not going to be interested because they're just not going to be in the same job.
3: And you made a really interesting point at the end of your session around communications and connecting and the importance of that. Can you just talk a little bit about that?
6: Yeah, in terms of the uh, thing I mentioned at the end of the speech, I suppose it's just really important to talk about uh, and, and to to ensure that you know uh, any anything that they're likely to ask, anything that you are, uh, you can bring into the meeting, you can bring people into the meeting, but if they're not going to speak, there's no point in introducing them, them necessarily. But using the time effectively and also engaging with uh, the kind of discussions that people are going to have at the moment in terms of the manifesto, whether it's a Conservative or, or uh, Labour manifesto. They're thinking about that at the moment, an election maybe less than two years away.
3: And then there was a really great question at the end, which has caused a lot of debate on Twitter and a lot of um, news um, pieces at the moment around the appointment um, of journalists in strategic comms roles. Can you just summarise your Mm -hmm. response to that?
6: Sure, I know Amber de Botton I worked with her at Sky News and I think uh, she is a very uh, capable professional person who inspires a lot of uh, a lot of um, respect in the people that she works with I think it can be difficult for anybody uh, no matter how qualified to go directly from journalism into comms, it doesn't always work but I think it will with Amber because she is a very uh, she'll listen to advice and she'll know what she doesn't know and I think that she has a a, a bright future ahead but it's a very very tough one for anybody Um, but certainly uh, she's the right choice
3: hello Alicia do you
7: just want to share where you're joining us from today Uh, I'm calling in all the way from Malaysia Kuala Lumpur Malaysia oh exciting and what do you do what's your role um I'm actually in corporate communications I um my position I'm Consider a writer, a business professional writer. So I do a lot of um, the company publications, reports and all that for, for the company I'm, I'm working with, yes. Incredible. And obviously the fact that the CRPR has organised
3: this year's conference as a hybrid event has enabled you to join us today. Um, what
7: has the experience been like joining virtually? Um, well, it's great because I actually get to to join in, in the whole conference all the way from, from Malaysia, Um. Um, normally, you know you have to fly down there. So it's great that I can actually listen and, and 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 it's wonderful because you get to hear a lot of different views and opinions. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff being discussed about, and you talk about the future, and I think it, it, we are, you know, in communications, we're always looking at how new ways of engaging our audiences and all that. So it's great to to discuss that on topics, you know, like ESG. I was listening to a talk just now on the metaverse. So there's lots of um, ideas uh, that's being shared and and, and, and that's great. Um, of course, I also like the idea, I mean, some of the sessions, I would have loved to join the breakout sessions, but I think that uh, that was not possible. But it's okay because we can actually listen to it. So um, I'm not glued 100% full-time to my screen so I can actually still take time and, and still benefit even after this this uh the conference so that's that's great and I agree Sally's talk this morning was
3: incredible um are there have there been any other takeaways that you've taken from the conference this morning
7: I think here is well the one I, I still I, re, I was very intrigued with uh, the discussion around uh, the sustainability and ESG and everything um, I actually come from an Holland gas company, so we, you know, it, it's like how do we, you know, talk about that? How do you drive that positive change? Um, I think it's about responsible public relations, um, and 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 how do you actually make, you know, it is actually a very complex topic on its own, and and it's a huge change. It's not just one company, but it's actually the whole world actually has to come together. And how do you actually play your your part and actually create that positive, even if you're from. Uh, an industry that that is considered as you know the evil of of ESGs and all that, right? Hundred percent. Yeah.
1: Congratulations on an excellent talk and a very popular talk. Thank you. Kindly, would you in, just introduce yourself? Tell us who you are and what you do.
8: Yeah, I'm Dev Mistry. I am global internal comms manager at Dice.
1: Perfect. Thank you, and thank you very much for championing internal communications today. Um, I thought your talk was really interesting and I love the fact that you focused a lot on culture and that idea that you can't dictate culture but you can influence it so I'm really interested in that how as internal communicators can we influence culture for the better for the future
8: really important really easy one we can change the way we speak and we can change the nuances of how others speak as well which is really important content materials um, anything that's visible to people but I think the most important one for me is the consultancy of really having an ear to a ground and knowing what people are saying across the business. And when you're in those meetings where you do have some power and you do have a voice speaking up and saying, actually, this might not work because of X, and X, or this might be a better solution and really having that power to, to understand what's going to really work well for your business, but also work well for comms.
1: Perfect. And you said right at the beginning that you felt like PR and comms have changed quite a lot in the sort of 10 years or more since you graduated. Are those changes for the better? What do you see as the main changes in that time?
8: I definitely see them as something for the better, because actually, if things were still the same as they were in 2012, I don't think we'd be able to do our jobs, right? If you think about it, you could do a briefing to 1,000 employees in, what, 2012, and the likelihood of that getting leaked would be really low, right? It would take a little while. Whereas now, as soon as the words have left your mouth, you could probably find them on an interpla- internet platform or a social media platform somewhere else, right? So you have to evolve to get with that. And sometimes it's technology, right? But sometimes it's practices. Like when you brief media, you're briefing your employees at the same time, right? They're both getting that information straight there and then rather than trying to kind of elongate it out, where you create gaps in that process where things are going to slip through. And then it creates more work, not just for comms people, but for businesses as well. So I think that's the main thing. I think the other thing for me is comms in in general, having a seat at the table and having a voice. Whereas before they were seen as a support function, actually now they're more of an integrated function. I think more people and more businesses put emphasis and trust in comms than they probably would have done in... 2012. If you've got anything to do with people, or culture, or nuance, get a comms person in the room. Get them with your people person as well, or HR team. Because actually, between people and comms, you've got a really good understanding of how businesses work, but also how people feel and how people might feel in future. And you've got the current situation, but from a comms point of view, you've also got the foresight as well. So it's really making sure that you're protected at all angles for the business. I think com, internal comms has been stereotyped as a profession for a certain type of person. And actually it's not. And actually it needs new blood to come in and people to understand the importance comms has both internally and externally within the running of a business. So. I would love to see in future more young people exploring the different aspects of public relations and communications and really finding out what impact they can make, not just on business, but then in turn society as well.
9: I'm Rachel Roberts, I'm the president of the CIPR. Brilliant, thank you. Tell us a little bit about how the day's been today. The day's been fantastic. Our focus is about inspiring the future, and we've heard from amazing speakers across the landscape of PR, public affairs, um, consumer PR, digital. And what's been amazing is we we can, we can know how to keep driving influence. That's what we've always done as an industry. But what's been really exciting is to recognise the achievements and the contribution we're making right, right now. So we've just made recognition to two really important people who've contributed to our industry firstly i've just awarded this steven talents medal to avril lee she has been an amazing pr professional she's achieved so much in her career professionally particularly within healthcare communications but more importantly she's made a massive contribution to driving the agenda around diversity and inclusion She's championed the CIPR diversity inclusion network, and she's really inspired us all to think differently. So it's great to award her with the medal and and, and give her that recognition. Um, secondly, I presented the President's Medal to Richard Bagnall, again, someone who's championed the industry for a number of years, particularly around the area of measurement and demonstrating the proof and the value of PR. And um, if we want to influence the future, we have to show how we influence the outcomes. So measurement and evaluation and impact is really pivotal to inspiring the future and influencing the future. So collectively, if you look at everything we spoke about today, it's really packaged everything that's important. We've looked at how the media landscape is changing, the expectations of PR and the dynamics of what we do, but most importantly for me, the people and the talent within it. And the future of our industry is really pivotal to the people that come in and fueling the next generation of talent. So I think inspiring thoughts today really make me spring out of bed and want to keep on practising this industry and bring a a lot of people along with me and that's what we need to do to keep driving the future and driving influence
0: Thanks for listening to this special episode of Engage We'll feature links to resources relating to the issues discussed in the podcast in the show notes But remember, as ever Don't let the conversation stop there. If you have any comments about the episode, share them on Twitter using the hashtag engage.